if you have your Bibles, let's go to the Gospel of John. That's where we're going to start this morning. We'll be moving around to a few other passages of Scripture as well, but we're going to, we're going to begin in the book of John. And while you're turning there, why don't you just bow your head and, and, uh, and let's just ask for God's help as we d- dig into His Word today. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the power that's in Your Word that can change us. And Lord, that, that's what we're asking for today. We're, we're not here, God, just to go through the motions. We're tired of that kind of thing. We're here, Lord God, because we want you to change us. And as you change us, God, then we, we want you to help us to see the world differently after we've heard uh, your heart and uh, as communicated through your word, Lord God. And uh, Lord, we want to act differently. We want to uh, have different attitudes. We, we just want to be different. So change us, God. Help us to see the world around us the way you see it. So speak to us today, God. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. If you're a guest or a uh, first or second time guest with us here this morning, it's actually, this is a really good time for you to be here because we're going through a series that we're calling Family Values. And What we're doing is we're having a very frank discussion about why we do the things that we do, how we're building uh, this church, why we'll do certain things, but we won't do other things. We want to be obedient to Christ as he's revealed to us uh, in the scriptures and and, and to what he's called us to be as a community of faith. I really believe with all my heart that there is just only one church, one true church of Jesus Christ in, 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 in the world, but even here in the Marion area. And it's just working itself out in a, in a thousand different places every weekend in different ways. You know, uh, for example, I, I mean, I think First Baptist Church here in Marion is doing a great job at what they do. But you know what? We're not First Baptist. We're Restoration Life Church. And I think Cross Community Church is, is just doing a bang up job with what they're doing. But we're not Cross Community Church. Victory Church is doing great things for the kingdom, but we're not Victory Church. God has, is asking us to be something that's us. Jesus is not asking us to duplicate anything, but to create something uniquely us. We, we've been talking about what we believe God has called us to uniquely be as a church and a church in this community. And we've been talking about what Jesus has laid upon our hearts, the defining elements of who we must be, what should mark us as a church, what we must value. And it also tells us the things into which we will put time, effort, energy, preaching, money, and generosity. We started talking about prayer. We value fervent and honest prayer that unleashes the supernatural power of an all-powerful God. And we, we talked, of, you remember we talked about why prayer is so important. And it's important because everything that really matters in life is beyond our control. Amen? And we, we talked about, what's, uh, in, about why we struggle to pray with any real consistency. And I, I believe the biggest reason for that is pride and self-sufficiency. And then we talked about what, what is known as the Lord's Prayer. I actually call it the Disciples' Prayer because he was teaching them how to pray. And we talked about what we're really praying when we pray that, that prayer. If you, you can go back and, and uh, watch that message on our website, restorationlifechurch.tv, if you missed that. Then last week we talked about truth. We value speaking the truth of the gospel filled with the grace and mercy we found in Jesus 
and living that truth out in our lives missionally. And, and there, there's a mouthful there, but we learned that Truth is not merely a set of rules and regulations. Truth is not a set of theological statements. Nothing wrong with, with theological statements, but we learn that truth is a person. Jesus said he is the way, the what? The truth and the life. Well, today we're going to be talking about valuing people. We value people more than tradition, facilities, or programs because that's what matters most to God. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is telling us there in that passage that you can exist without ever being alive. You can exist and you can do all the things that existing entails without knowing the life that God promises. You can get married, you can eat food, you can have sex, you can listen to music, you can feel emotion, you can exist without ever knowing the depth and the meaning of life into which God has, God, God has created you and, 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 and to, that God has created you to walk in and to know. This invitation to follow Jesus has very little to do with you know, things like that we make it, like drinking beer or cursing, curse words and rated R movies. But the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to follow him into the depth of life. Jesus says, you, you can do all that there is to do but, in life, but you will never ever know the fullness of anything outside of me because the entire world is a shadow of my grace. It's a shadow of my mercy. It's a shadow of my might. It's a shadow of who I am. Let, let me give you a, a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. When a man and a woman comes together in marriage, God says that a man is to love his wife the way Jesus loves the church. That's a tall order already for every man in this place. But, but let me just ask you this. Uh, uh, well, let me just say before I ask you that question, what he's saying there, he's not so much showing that a man should love his wife correctly as much as he's showing how perfect, how wide, how deep, and how patient his love for us. So let me explain why, by asking a question. How many of you here this morning are married? Let me, let me see your hand. All right, all right, a lot of married people in here. And, and, and you, all you married people will know exactly what I'm talking about. And there are single people in here that will doubt me for another few years until they get married and then they'll figure out it's true. But what happens in marriage is that eventually you, you run into really, 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 really difficult days where you and your spouse, no, no matter how awesome he or she is, uh, you hit an impasse where neither one of you feel like you can give in. And in that moment, the tendency, my tendency personally, is to say, I can't, I can't, she's so selfish. And my tendency is to try to withdraw and punish her with my withdrawal. Anybody else do something like that? You know what I'm talking about? You might call it the silent treatment or whatever. And so I'm just an idiot, right? Okay, that's what I'm confessing to you because what I'm doing is I'm like, I'll show her, I'll make things worse. You know, that's, that's basically what I'm doing. But in that moment, what Jesus is trying to teach me, the shadow that he's trying to show me in that moment is that he is constantly asking us to engage him and we are constantly refusing. Refusing. Or how about this? One of the most difficult parts of Jesus' message for me, uh, historically in my life, I, I feel like I'm doing much better with it now, but, but it's, it's, 
it's to believe that he loves me right now. And the reason I struggle, have struggled with that is because I still struggle with a lot of stuff. Anybody here still have sin in your life? You still struggle with stuff? Okay, I'm glad I'm, I'm preaching to the right people here. I mean, uh, here's the thing. I can buy that he loves me in the future. You know, that when the day comes when I finally don't have that knee-jerk reaction in traffic with the angry words and calling other drivers idiots, that sort of thing, or, you know, when I don't respond with punching. I don't punch. I really don't. But, uh, uh, but, but when I finally get past that, and I get to the point where somebody cuts me off in traffic and my knee, my knee jerk reaction is to say, grace be unto you. Then I believe, then I believe somehow, you know, that's when, when I get there, then Jesus can love me. But, but when, I, when I finally, you know, don't have those nights where, where I, I wake up and I can't get to sleep again because of the worry and the anxiety that invades my soul. And I'm lying there wondering, is God going to come through? Is God st still helping me? Has he abandoned us? And when I get past all that, then that's when Jesus can finally love me. But you know what? The shadow that I got to see that finally helped me uh, find some rest in this was, was when my, especially when my first daughter was born. After the first child, you sort of understand it a little more with the second one. But you know why that was a big moment for me? Well, here's why. And I think every parent here will understand this. The first few years of parenting are, are full of, of a lot of gross stuff. It, can I get an amen? You know, I mean, you, you can... You can throw away every dark shirt or dark top that you have unless you're willing to be resigned to the, to the permanent snot or drool mark that's going to be right here on your shoulder, right? You know what I'm talking about. Anybody here? You, 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 then you have, to, you have to change diaper after 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 diaper. And that's just Monday morning. Right? And if you're like me and you got a good, strong sense of smell, many of those diapers are really a challenge to, to work your way through. You know, anybody, are we on the same page here? And then, it, and then I don't know why, but it's always at 3 o'clock in the morning. At 3 o'clock in the morning, you're going to have to clean up anywhere from one to 2,000 pounds of vomit. You know what I'm talking about, Right? I mean, she, you have to do it. She's not, your daughter is not going to clean it up, right? You're not telling your two-year-old, clean that up and get back to bed, <laughs> right? You'd, you'd like to do that, but no, you're on the floor and you're like ooh, gagging and, and, and you're, you know, it's just a horrible, horrible mess. Parenting, if we're honest, is full of these things that are not pleasant. They are not good. And, and that we, at that stage in their life, we cannot wait till they outgrow right? I could not, I was so excited when my children outgrew the diaper stage, right? But listen, during all of those times and all of the mess, all of the grossness, all the terrible stuff, all the, the nasty stuff, I never, ever, ever once even thought about saying to my daughter, I can't wait until you're 18 because that's when I'm going to like you again. Right? Right now, I wish I could take you back, but, but, but that never happened. In fact, love is consistent even as you're cleaning up the mess. Even as you're down there on your hands and your knees 
and you're gagging from the smell of the vomit. This is a little graphic, probably. Maybe, maybe I don't know. But, but, but the love is still consistent. Why is that? What does that show me? My love for my children is a shadow that helps me see and understand the depth of God's love for me. That in the middle of my mess, when he's cleaning me up, he still loves me. It is Jesus saying that I love you now. I love you now because of I see what you will be. See, we love our children through those nasty moments because we see that one day they will be out of diapers. One day they'll be taking care of themselves. One day they'll be grown and we see them for what they will be. And it's the hope of what will come in their lives that keeps us moving forward in those moments. And Jesus is saying to us, I love you now because I see what you will be. And when Jesus invites us into abundant life, he's inviting us into a life where we begin to see the depth and the layers and the meaning and the purpose of all kinds of things because we begin to see him in the shadow of all these things we walk through. So we're, we're going to go on a bit of a journey this morning and some of what I'm going to say may sound threatening at first, but I just, but hold on, I promise you it's going to be an encouraging word. I want you to notice that in John 10, 10, that we just read, Jesus did not say, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they might have belief. Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life. You know, I believe that one of the fundamental errors of Christianity in America that has birthed many, many false notions about Jesus is that most people define Christianity almost solely by belief. I mean, if you walk up to a Church of Christ person and ask them to tell you what it means to be a Christian, they'll probably tell you something about what they believe about baptism. If you go up to a Catholic uh, and ask them to tell you what it means to be a Christian, they're going to talk to you about what they believe about the church. If you go to a Bible church uh, person they're gonna, and ask them what it means to be a Christian, they're going to tell you something about the Word. If you go to an Assembly of God uh, person and ask them what it means to be a Christian, you know, they'll probably talk, they're going to work the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in there somewhere. There, there, there is this idea about Christianity that is built almost solely around belief. And, and so much so, and the result of that is that a recent Gallup poll said that 70% of all Americans believe they're Christians. They're not. Because Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. We know that they're not. It's a fundamental Error. My contention, and what I'm going to be talking about right now, is that belief was never meant to be the end. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Josh, not Joshua, John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, says this. Now Jesus did many other signs of the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but, but these are written so that, I'm going to stop there for just a second, what just happened is that the author of the Gospel of John, who just happens to be a dude named John, he says, this is why this has been written. All right? Read it again, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So there is belief. And I have not said that belief is unimportant. What I have said it's not, is that it's not the end. Listen to this. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Belief was never meant to be the final goal. Belief is a doorway that we walk through to get to life. Do you see this? It's about how we live. It's about, the, it's about living the life that he has for us. And this, Think about the ramifications of what this means in how Christianity works itself in our, out in our country. Almost all discipleship that we have in the, in the Western world, in the American church, is not training to live, but rather indoctrination. It's, it's, the goal is right beliefs, not right living. Now, I'm not saying that right beliefs are wrong, but I'm saying is right beliefs have to lead to right living or it's dead belief. That's the point I'm trying to make. When right beliefs are the main goal of our lives, those beliefs don't, uh, 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 those beliefs don't lead to life, but they become a burden on our lives. They become very burdensome. And then we eventually, very often, become very angry, cold, empty people. I mean, listen, I, I, I've, I've said to this before, and, and I try to live this out. I never want to stand on the stage and pretend like I'm Superman, you know? A lot of guys up, you know, they'll stand up a platform and talk about how great they are. But, you know, I mean, I never want to stand up here and try to sell you something. I, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, I read my Bible nine hours a day and then flutter about doing miracles, you know. <laughs> you know, that's not, follow me. <laughs> that's not what I'm going to do. I, I have found, uh, uh, I'm not going to be that guy because that's just not reality. But I have found my faith at times to be difficult. And I have found my faith at times to be somewhat confusing. Follow me here. There was this moment in my life when I was 17 where this Jesus thing happened to me. And I can't explain it to words, in words, but I can just tell you something happened. She changed me. It was so powerful. I can remember going home from that camp that, I, that, that he saved me and filled me with the Spirit and called me into ministry all in the same week. I remember going home from that camp and, and I had my Bible and it was a red letter edition and I can remember lying on my bed and reading my Bible when I'd get to the, when I'd get to the red letters. It was like I could hear him talking to me. And I would sit there and read the word and just weep and I was so in love, so in love with him. There was such hope, there was such love and purity early on and and then as I got deeper into church activities, and then when I got into full, I believe this with all my heart, one of the easiest places to backslide if you're not careful is in full-time ministry. You say, that just seems so odd. Well, it's because there's so much that goes on, and, it's, and, 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 and I, I don't even know how to explain it, but, but as I got deeper into church activities, my heart started to change. And then one day I realized that I was able to argue almost any bit of theology that you could bring up, but somewhere along the line my heart had gotten really cold to the reality of Jesus, so I could talk with you for hours about all kinds of theological ideas, but my heart had grown really cold and really tired, and I'd lost touch with my first love. I had what I still believed to be the right answers, but my heart was dead. And, I, and one of the things I think I see in evangelicalism in America is, is that, that all of us, 
we, we, we tend to want to refer back to our glory days when we talk about our faith. You know, there was this moment early on when it just made sense and it was powerful and wonderful and then we sort of lose it, but we continue to buy our books and buy our CDs. I guess they don't buy CDs so much anymore. So you, you know, listen to your Christian worship music on Spotify and we do a bunch of Christian activities hoping to get back to that initial thing. And it is the consistent testimony of many, many Christians that we started out alive and awakened and changed only to wake up years later knowing a bunch more about Jesus but not able to find him anywhere. And if that wasn't the consistent testimony of nearly everyone that I know, then maybe I would think I was wrong. But this pattern should tell us that something is wrong with trying to follow Jesus by merely adopting right beliefs. Belief was never meant to be the final destination. Maybe it will help us to look at the first Christians, to understand this, to put this into perspective. Because did you know that the first Christians were not called Christians at all? That's not what the first Christians were called. Not at first. Anybody know what they were called? Acts chapter 9, verse 2. The way. The way. Now, to us today, that sounds a little strange. You know, in 2023, you know, the way sounds like a little, a little cultish. You know, like there's Kool-Aid and weapons involved or something. You know what I'm saying? It just sounds a little scary. But the first Christians were, known, were not known as Christians. They were known as the way. So that tells me something there. The first Christians, more than they were known for their doctrinal statements, were known for the way, their way of living. The way of living. They were a peculiar people. They really were. They met together every day. They'd get together in the temple and then they'd go back to each other's houses and just sort of just party together and have this get to stay together and talk about Jesus together. And they ate meals together and they laughed together. And they told stories together. Relationships were born. There is a way of living being taught in their, in their, in their, their discipleship. And then, then things got really, really spooky because wealthy believers sold their possessions to help the poor believers. This is all in the book of Acts. And then the world got a little nervous and tried to shut them down by beating them and putting them in prison and stealing from them and killing them. And those early Christians responded to it with joy. They responded to it with joy. I mean, do you remember uh, Peter and John after the healing of the lame man? They're standing in front of the Sanhedrin. And I'm just going to give you the, the Hoskins translation or paraphrase. It's not a translation. But basically the Sanhedrin said, hey, shut up talking about this Jesus cat, right? And, and Peter said, well, I can't do that. I'm not, should I listen to God or you? I can't do that. And then they said, okay, well, then we're, we're going to beat you. And they said, well, okay. And then they beat the mess out of him. And the Bible says they left rejoicing. Now, now, maybe this will help you. Under, I've used this illustration before, but maybe this will help you understand how frustrating that would be. It would be like you spanking your child and then that child responding by going, yeah, that was awesome. I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, what's your next move? It's, it's like, pow, yay. And then you're like, uh, Julie, help me in here. I'm stuck. I don't know what to do now. You know, but, but they would put them in prison and these people would, 
would be down there singing like freaks. And then other people would visit them in prison. And while they were visiting them in prison, their stuff would get looted. And they'd go back to the houses and find that their stuff had been stolen from them. And they'd rejoice over that. And then some of them would get killed and they'd rejoice about that. And the Bible tells us that the world was in awe of the way. Because it was about the way they lived. Before Christians were known for our doctrine, our beliefs, we were known for how we lived. Now here's the problem with focusing only on getting people to hold the right beliefs. The reality is that truth without meaning is empty and can be dangerous. Let me give you an example. Here's the difference between truth and meaning. I, I can say to my wife, to my wife Julie, I can say to her, your eyes are green. Which we always thought they were hazel and then she went to the eye doctor and they said, no, your eyes are green. So we're going with the eye doctors, the experts on this. And so, so I can say to her, your eyes are green. And that statement is true. I, I could walk into the house and say that it's truth, but it has no meaning. But what if I walked in the house and said to her, Julie, your eyes are so beautiful to me and they, they see more in me than I see in myself. And, and when, I, when I look in your eyes, my heart is just filled with courage and, they, and your eyes just really reflect the beauty of God's creation. I just love your beautiful green eyes. Okay, now, not only am I going to need some chapstick, <laughs> think about that, but now there's meaning instead of just simple truth. One statement is truth, but the other adds meaning. Truth that doesn't add meaning to us is, is lifeless. Truth without meaning is empty. And that's the testimony of a lot of people here today. You can quote sound doctrine, but you've lost your heart somewhere along the way. Th this truth with meaning for the early church finds its root in something Jesus taught. And it, it was very counter counterculture to them at their time. It still applies to us today. And it's still very countercultural to us today. But this is what it, what it says in Matthew chapter 20. But Jesus called them, the disciples, to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says here that the Gentiles use their money, their power, their prestige, their social influence, their authority, and they lord it over other people. Make sure they know they're the boss. Anybody ever had a boss that, that that's all they cared about was making sure you knew that they were the boss? That's what he's talking about. But Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, not you, you will not live that way. That's what he says to them. He says, you're going to use your wealth and your influence, and your power, and your prestige, not to lord it over anyone, but to serve everyone. And I guarantee you that sounded to, to everyone back then about what it sounds like to us, to, to us today, where we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then he, just to make it really clear and make it a little rub it in, then he says, like your slaves. And I worry that sometimes we're doing exactly what we've been warned not to do, that we're lording the grace given over us, over others, given to us over others. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Sometimes I listen to Christian talk radio. I don't, I don't watch Christian shows or Christian talk radio, listen to that a lot just because 
there are so many knuckleheads on there. And I, and, and I get frustrated sometimes when they're saying things that are just not biblical. And so sometimes I just find it better and more peaceful for me just to avoid listening to some of those things. There's some great teachers out there, but I'm here to tell you there are, and I'm just saying this in uh, the nicest way I can, there are some knuckleheads out there too. You know, can I get an amen? And by the way, if you don't know what the word of God says, you're not going to know the difference. Because the knuckleheads sound really good. They really sound good. But I'll tell you this, one earmark, I didn't want to plan on saying any of this, but one earmark of the knuckleheads, is, I, I like that word, I use it a lot, but uh, I never used it so much in a sermon before. But here's one earmark, is that their message is always going to be man-centered. It's going to be you-centered. It's going to be all about you and what you can be and all this stuff. And it's, that's, that's a red flag. Be careful if they're not talking about Jesus. All right. Anyway, here, I'm going to move on before I get somebody mad at me. But, but there have been times, I'll put it this way. Uh, sometimes, maybe it's on Facebook, somebody makes a statement and, you know, it's a Christian page or whatever. And there have been times when somebody called in or they typed in a message about how much they were hurting because they said their children were stra straying from God. <clears throat> and I've witnessed people replying to that person by saying things like, well, if you wouldn't have let them watch certain movies or if you would, have, would not have let them listen to that music, then, you know, we didn't let our kids do that. And they're all well adjusted. They all are serving God. If you'd only parented your kids the right way, the way we did, then they'd be walking with Jesus the way my kids are. They wouldn't be so messed up. You should never have let them watch the Smurfs. And anybody back from the 70s, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the, the, some of the things we do. But here, here's the real truth from Scripture. I want you to take this to heart. If your child is well-adjusted and loves Jesus, that has everything to do with God's grace and very little to do with your parenting skills. You, you can do things with your parenting to mess your children up. Uh, but you know what? If they love Jesus, you need to thank God for the grace of God on their lives. I, I know some men and women who love Jesus with their whole heart, and they have taught the love and the graciousness of God that is extended to sinners to their children from day one of their lives. And then their kids hit 21 or 22 and, and their kids say, I'm gone, I'm out of here. Then on the flip side, I have friends that have come from, from horrific, horrific homes. Godless, absolutely godless homes who love Jesus with their whole heart. You know, one of the funny things to me is that when parents want to come in and they say they want to, you know, they have one child that's serving the Lord and one of them that's not, and they want to take credit for the one that's serving the Lord, but they don't want to take the responsibility for the one that's not. But now I'm really meddling. I better just move on. Uh, but, but, uh, but the truth is, it has everything to do with God's grace, very little to do with your parenting skills. I, I, know, I know some men and women, uh, well, I already said that. I have friends i said that too. Let me get, I, see this is what happens when I go off track. I lose my place in my notes. Uh, but let's just, is it just me or does it sometimes seem as we as Christians, we seem to lord it over people at times? Is it just me or have we abused the grace shown to us by saying, well, if you'd live like us, then you'd get some of this. You know, it, it, have we abused the grace of God by leaning against the cross and pointing at people and say, you better get right, you dirty, rotten sinner. 
instead of kneeling at the cross and saying, I'm a sinner too, there's room here for you too. Instead of slaves of all, sometimes we've become the judges of all. But Jesus said we're to use our power, influence, and wealth to serve. To, to live the way of Jesus in front of a world that is absolutely unaware of how good he is. So what does that look like? Let's go to Psalm 139. I, I want you to personally listen to this because... Many of you are like me, you know, we, we love the ambiguous we and us in churches, but we can't really believe that God loves us individually, but we, and we do believe that he loves us corporately, but we can't believe that we have a hard time living, believing that he loves me. So I want you to listen to this, especially if you have doubts about whether you really matter or if you have doubts of whether you have any purpose in this world or if you have any doubts of whether God really loves you or even likes you a little bit. If you wrestle with some of these things, listen very carefully to this in Psalm chapter 139. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So the scripture tells us, your existence is not the result of chance. Your existence is not the, the, the chance result of a sexual encounter between a man and a woman sometime in the past. Your, your life is not just some random division of cells, but God in your mother's womb carefully and passionately knit you together according to his plan for, for your life. And God's hands were in your mother's womb putting you together. He, he put those little hands together on you and he said, oh man, this kid, this hand in sixth grade, he's really going to need me. And he looked at Lee and said, boy, these feet are going to really gonna go some crazy places. Uh, this, this Lee, he's going to need me. And he knit us together and, and he, he knit together your physical makeup. And think about how personal that makes you to God, that he knit you together. Did you know that Ephesians uh, 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship. That, that workmanship, the word there is the same Greek word for poetry. It can be translated masterpiece or, or poetry. And now, now here's the thing, poetry is not cerebral, it's heart on a page. And that's what scripture communicates about God's beginning with you. He also created our personalities. I mean, just, just look at your kids. I mean, I mean, when you watch your kids, Tell me if this is true. There's some things they do and you look at them and you say, oh, dadgummit, that's me. Right. And then they do something else and you look at them and say, oh, that's you. That's not me. That is you. And then they do things that are just them. What does that say about God's creativity? Look, look around the world. There, there is such incredible diversity in the world. There are many different skin colors. There are tall people. There are short people. There are skinny people. There are fluffy people. Um, you know, some people have blonde hair. Some have brown. Some have black. 
Some have pink. Okay, that's not God's creation part, but it's still kind of cool, you know. But large noses, small noses, big feet, small feet. And we could go on and on and on about, uh, think about all the different ways that we look. And, and you know, when, one of the things we do, one of the most ignorant things we try to do is when we, we try to define what is beautiful as if God messed up somewhere. When we look at some, one person and say, oh, she's beautiful. And then we look at somebody else and say, oh, that person's homely. Who are we to decide what is beautiful when God created that person? I think they're beautiful. Can I get an amen? You know what I want? I beg God to make us diverse here. Not, not just in color, but in personality. Now, maybe this will freak you out a little bit, but, but I'd love to see a few Mohawks in here. I'd love to see some tattoos in this place. I, 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 I want to see black and white and brown and any other color God made uh, in this place. We, we want to be a place that says, look at all the beautiful diversity that Jesus has made. Isn't it beautiful? Now go over to Acts 17 with me. So we, we have this call to use our lives to serve. We're, we're not lord, lording uh, our salvation uh, or, or what Jesus has done in us over other people, but we're going to serve them with the grace given. We have been designed by God with very specific purposes in mind. And now look at Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 24. The NIV does a fantastic job of translating this. This is what it says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole world. And listen to this. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He's saying he chose when you were going to be born and where you were going to be born. He put you in that place. God did this, he says in verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. So not only God, does God design you physically and emotionally, but then he plants you in front of an audience so that they can find God. You have been placed by God in a specific place at this specific time for a specific purpose. Here's how this thing happens from beginning to end. We, we've been called to live the way of Jesus and it is not complicated. We have been called to be examples of his love and his mercy by using the personalities that God has given to us. Uh, so please, please don't lose who you are on this journey. If you're an introvert, introvert you don't have to become loud like somebody else, you know, some of the others in the church here. You, you don't have to become like anybody else. Don't lose who you are because you're going to be able to connect with quiet people in a way that a loud person can never connect. So don't lose who you are. Think about how bland and horrible this place would become if we all dressed the same way or we all listened to exactly the same music and we all watched all the same movies and we all thought the same and talked the same. Think about how bland and how offensive it must be to God when we take the rainbow of his perfection and we boil it down to this one image that we're all supposed to look like. We're called to use the life and the personality that God gave us in front of the audience where he has placed us to help them find Jesus. According to Acts 17, where you live is no accident. I live on Crawford Drive 
in Marion. And I think that Acts 17 says that God put me there on mission. Aaron, well, actually my whole family works at Chick-fil-A now. And, and I, I think God put them there for a purpose. My youngest daughter attends Marion High School. I believe that God put her there for a purpose. I work very close to Wendy's and Sonic here at the office. And I think, I think God, some of your, I think God put me near those places on a mission. And you're laughing. And I'm not using that excuse to go eat there, but I'm saying there's a reason why just almost every morning before I come to the office, I go to Sonic. Because there are certain car hops that are always working the same time. I've gotten to know them. I've been able to ask them, hey, is there anything I can pray with you about? I've been able to love them in the name of Jesus. I've been able to pray with them. That's part of my mission field. Now, it just so happens I get to eat at the same time. So praise the Lord for that, you know. But, but, but the, you know, the, the, the grocery store that's most convenient for me to do grocery shopping is the Walmart Neighborhood Market. And, and while it sometimes is a pain to go in any Walmart anywhere, God put me near that store for a purpose. He put me in Marion for a purpose. He put you where you live and work and shop, where, where you live your life for a purpose. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not talking about headhunting, you know, and making people into projects. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, I don't want you hiding in the bushes ready to jump out on and Jesus people. You know, ah, you know, you know uh, look at that. <laughs> that's my neighbor. He knows Jesus now. <laughs> you know, that's not what I'm talking about. But Jesus says, I apologize. Jesus says, conversion is my business. Loving them and serving them in my name is yours. You can't save anybody, but you sure can make Jesus known in the way you talk, and in the way you live. And believe me, you need both of those. Some people say, well, some people tell, talk about Jesus and then they live in a way that just is, you know, disparages his name. And then other people say, I'm just going to live it in front of them. Well, that's great, except for the fact that they don't know why you're different. How, what we say and how we live, that's, that both of those matter. And, and, and so it, it means, here's what it means. It means pulling up the trash cans to the garage for our neighbors because we're called to serve. It, it means that I'm really interested in their story and in who they, who they are. It means that my life has not been designed to just huddle up with a bunch of other believers, but I am to live the way of Jesus in my neighborhood. So go, go to where the lost are. Don't just, don't just make your life revolve around just being with Christians and the long, I'm going to say this, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more intentional you have to be about this because the tendency is the longer you walk as a follower of Christ, the fewer unsaved friends that you have. So you have to be intentional. You have to do this on purpose be, be, or, or it's not, just not going to happen. Go where the lost are hanging out. Extend to them the same love and hope and mercy that's exp been extended to you. Get to know people. Hear their stories. Learn their names and speak 
their names to them. Build relationships so that you can extend to them the same grace, love, and hope that's been extended to you. 1 Peter 3.15. We've heard this so many times and it's been applied to apologetics, but it's, it's just not even about apologetics. Not, this is not what it's talking about. But it says, But in the, your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. It says to be able to give a defense or an answer for what? The hope that you have. So it's not people coming to you and saying, you know, let's debate, prove God to me. No, it's people coming to you and saying, why have you been so nice to me? We, we don't believe the same thing. We don't live the same way. So why do you keep asking me over for dinner? Why have you offered to watch my kids while we go out on a date? Hey, did you, did you mow my front lawn? Why, why do you keep visiting me in prison? Why do, you, why do you care what happens to me? You remember my name? Peter assumes simply by the way that we live our lives, extending compassion, grace, mercy, and love, people would want us to explain why we are so different from the rest of the world. Peter assumes that simply the way we live our lives, that people would see this hope in us and it would seem peculiar and foreign to them and a lot of us have this great head full of belief, but somewhere along the way, we've stopped thinking about how to live it. My hope is that we might be a place where those people who are hurting, who are destitute, who are, who are living on the fringes of society, might feel loved, welcomed, cherished, and served. That's my vision for us that we value people. Not an image, not that they look like us, not that they act like us, but we value people because we know God loves them and God can change them. God can change them. The way of Jesus is not complicated. It's this. Jesus is walking through the desert with his disciples and he stops at this well because he's tired and the disciples go on into town to get him something to eat and, and a woman comes to the well who at that moment in her life is exchanging sex for rent and Jesus asks her to get him some water. By the way, he says, I have some water that will wash away that feeling of dirtiness that you have in your life. Are you interested? And he loves her. He speaks the truth, but he loves her. He walks into another town and he notices this little traitorous thief named Zacchaeus, this tax collector who's a traitor to his nation and he's hated by everybody and he sees him up in this tree and he says, hey, hey Zacchaeus, you want to get some dinner with me? And he loves him. He speaks the truth, but he loves him. He's at the temple and they bring a woman in caught in an adultery and they throw her at his feet and and he bends down and rescues her and he forgives her. And, and he speaks the truth and says, don't, don't do this anymore. Don't live like this anymore. But he loved her. You know, we like to put on outward morality. You know, look at us. We don't listen to this kind of music. We, we do this and we don't do that. And those things validate us 
And, and, and the reason a lot of us don't want to follow the real way of Jesus is because he's going to take all that away from us and he's going to say, no, my grace validates you and my grace will be enough. Now go love and extend the same mercy that I've given to you. That's the way of Jesus. It's not complex. It's not hard. It's giving a cup of cold water in his name. It's buying a lunch for somebody who's hungry in his name. By the way, that's the key. I always make sure if somebody says, man, I'm hungry. Can you give me some money? I, I don't give money out because we all know that often they use the money for other things. But I'll say, hey, if you're hungry, I don't, I don't have cash. I never carry cash. But if you're hungry, I'll buy you a meal. And then when I buy them the meal, I give it to them and I say, listen, I want you to understand. The reason I did this is not because I'm a good guy. But it's because Jesus loves you and he wants you to know that. That's why I'm loving you. What, so it can be something as simple as that. It, 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 it can be uh, loving those that are downcast, just serving them, doing whatever you can to, to, to love them. And, and so it's just not complex. It, it's just showing his love and his grace and his patience and his mercy. Because listen, if our door is ever shut to, uh, to people who don't look like we do or act like we do, then in that moment we have failed to be disciples of Jesus. My hope for us is that God would infuse our hearts with love so that we would see our neighborhoods differently. Instead of just seeing that annoying neighbor that gets on your nerves all the time or the, that you would look at the neighbor and realize Jesus loves them. You'd see that neighborhood as your mission field. That we would see our workplaces differently. That it's not just something we have to go through, go to, and we, we put up with all the stuff to get our paycheck, but God's planted me there for a reason. That we, we would see, well, some of you, not me, you'd see the gym that you go to to work out differently. Uh, I used to work out at a gym, but uh, I don't now. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I'm embarrassed enough already, so quit laughing. Or... Or, or, or that he'd infuse your, your heart, hearts with so much love that, that, that the Starbucks you go to regularly, you'll see them differently. That the person who serves your meal today for lunch, you'll see them differently. That the, the person that you're interacting with wherever, at, at the grocery store. Because here's what I learned. I learned this when I moved to the south. Uh, we, we used to live in Reno, Nevada, which is a land of privacy fences and everybody keeps you at arm's length and nobody even makes eye contact with anybody. Then I moved to Georgetown, South Carolina, and I realized the first time I was in a Walmart line that if you're in line long enough at Walmart, you're going to know the medical history of the person behind you because they're going to talk to you and they're going to tell you everything that's going on in their life. And I realized, you know what? That's part of my mission field. There have been times when somebody told me, I was standing in line, they told me they're fighting stage four cancer and I just waited for them and we prayed. And uh, it's just loving people. I just, I pray that we'll never look at people the same again. And that we'd learn to live the way of Jesus. Loving people. Always speaking the truth. Never compromising the truth. But always, always, being flooded with the love of Christ. Knowing that that truth was, is not meant to be used as a sword to slash them down, but to cut their sin away. 
that the truth is there to transform them. But the truth without meaning is empty. Your love, you living out the love of Christ while you speak the truth, gives the truth the meaning. Earlier when I said that I woke up, we're going to close here, but when I, when I said I woke up one day and knowing a lot of stuff in my head, but somewhere along the way I lost my heart, I, maybe, that, maybe that cuts some of you to the quick and, and because that's where you are today. And maybe you need to confess some things to Jesus and say, you know, I don't, I don't want to be this. I, I don't want to be the guy that has the answers but has no heart. Maybe, maybe, you know, today on your way home, maybe you need to have a conversation with your spouse and say, hey, what does this look like in our neighborhood? How can we live this out? Maybe you need to begin that conversation on the way home. Maybe you need to talk to your roommate if you've got a roommate or your small group and say, what does this look like for us to live this thing out? Begin to, begin to grapple with this. this. This is one of our core values. This is what we must be this is one of the things that must mark us as a church if we're to be what I believe God's calling us to be as a church. Here's the thing. Sometimes the things I say are hard to hear, but I want you to know I love you. That's why I say it. I love you. And, and I want you to know I, I want you, I want you to move into the deep end of the pool with Jesus. I don't want you to, to be grown men wading in a kiddie pool. I want you to wade into the deep waters with the Lord. And it's not through some mystical moment. It's just simple obedience, surrender, living this thing out. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these men and women. I, I just pray, God, that you would, you would help us today because the the line between everything that we want to be and all the things that we hate is, is thinner than most people want to talk about. And God, I pray that you would protect us from the historical pattern of churches where they start out missional, focused on the mission, loving people, but then years later they end up a relic. I ask God that you would give us eyes to see so that when we pull into our driveway later today that we'd see the houses around us differently. Give us eyes to see so that as we had to work tomorrow, we would see people and that we would, that we would actually see people and that you, you would put in our hearts to, 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 to love them, to, to want to know their stories, to want to know where they've been to, and, to, and where they are now, Lord, and, and to want to know their spouse and their children and what's really going on in the world and how we might be able to help. God, help us to extend love to them in, in order to live the way of Jesus in front of, of them so that through the us, God, you might draw them to you. I pray, God, that you would rescue us from merely doing church, that you'd get us back into the mission and not thinking that it's about trips that we take to foreign lands. That's wonderful. That's powerful. But it's about a mission right now. And God, I pray that one of the distinctives of this place would be that we will use our time and our energy and our money and our influence and our social status to serve other peoples, that we would spend our lives on others so that they could see Jesus. 
And God, I think we're going to need help with that because I don't know that we fully understand what that really looks like. But I pray that we would be a place where we learn to love and to serve our community, learn to love and serve our neighbors. Sometimes we need to learn to love and serve even our families, God. So help us. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around. How many would say, Pastor Dave? I just, I just want to live this gospel out, this simple gospel. I want to serve people. That's the kind of person I want to be. And you'd like me just to pray for you, just to say, just to, to say, Lord, help, help, help me be that person. Not just be a churchgoer, not to be just have the right beliefs, but, it, but my beliefs would live to a way of living that leads other people to Christ. If that's you and you'd like me to include you in this prayer that I'm going to pray in a moment, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Oh boy, you're just all over the place. Yeah, this is, this is, this is what it means to be on mission. Lord, you saw every hand. I think it was just about everybody. But God, I just pray you'd help us. Because God, we know we can't do this. We know if we just try to do it in the flesh, we, we can't finish in the flesh what you started in the spirit. And so I just pray you would empower us, that you would, you would fill our hearts with love. That suddenly we would have a compassion that we never had before. That suddenly we would look at people with a love that we never had before. That we would have a patience that must come from you because we've never had that patience before. And that God, you'd help us to, to serve the people around us in your name, that we would be speaking truth to them, but our love for them would give meaning to that truth. And that they would have open and inquisitive hearts to say, what is it about this Jesus? Tell me about him. And that you would open the doors for us. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, it won't be something that we say, well, I'll start that tomorrow. But even as we walk out this door, Many people are going to go out to eat somewhere. God, I pray you'd help us to see the person serving, the person preparing the meal, whatever, wherever we go. If we go to a grocery store, I pray, God, that you would help us to see the people there the way you see them and help us to live this mission out, God. We ask all of it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.